Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is the 16th of the 12th. Apologies for not being with you on Sunday. I was unfortunately ill, or I suppose fortunately, depending on what you think of me as a person. Michael, how have you been? I'm, I'm, I'm fine, Gary. I'm obviously a little bit excited. I think it's only eight more sleeps now till Santi. So it's, it's you know, it's closer we get, the excitement builds. So just to, to open with, the last time we were on, we were talking about maternity leave for TDs, and I put forward the opinion that this has nothing to do with actual equal rights because TDs are, are on a salary and there's no ability to uh, remove wages from them if they take time off. Yes. And that rather this appears to be an attempt to, as I believe the phrase was, defraud the public purse of expenses that they were not owed. I think that captures, if not the exact words, I think that's very much the spirit of what you were saying. I think you got the spirit, Michael, that they want to claim some of the transport allowances and you can claim them when you're sick. And that's what they were talking about giving in sick certs for. And they would prefer to just say that they were on maternity leave and not have to give in the sick cert. And I think my view on it was, well, in neither of those cases should you get an expense for transport and accommodation, given the fact you weren't using it because you didn't go to work. Yes. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm old school on this, Michael. You're old school on everything, Gary. But... So it was nice to see a letter in the Irish Times. And I'll put a link to it at the bottom of this. It was from a current councillor called Joanna Tuffy. Now, you might remember uh, Joanna Tuffy from when she was a TD for the Labour Party. I, I remember Joanna Tuffy well, and I, I don't want to say this because Joanna may still have ambitions to have a, a life in politics in the Labour Party, but I always thought she was a remarkably competent individual who used to come up with a variety of heterodox opinions and a rock of good solid sense. I, I remember, for example, she was a, quite a vociferous opponent of the introduction of quota systems into uh, nominations and elections for uh, I, I don't know, it was the county councillor of the Shannon of the Dollars, but generally speaking, she was opposed to, to quotas. And generally speaking, she, she seemed to just be a very sensible kind of a competent person. I hope that nobody hears this because obviously that such an opinion from the likes of me would not be good news for Joanna. But in this case, uh, Joanna's gone and done it again. Yeah, so as I said, I... I had a rough idea that this was correct, but it's nice to hear from someone who was a TD, because I've generally found in financial matters, Michael, the people most informed about what they're actually due are those who had a personal interest in mm. those financial matters. So, Councillor Tuffy says, you know, the debate about the right of women TDs to maternity leave should be informed by facts. The claim that they uh, require a sick cert after having a baby is incorrect. The only situation in which a TDs are required to submit a sick certificate to the Uktaros is if they do not want to lose a portion of their travel and accommodation expenses in respect of days they did not attend the doll. A TD only needs to attend the doll for one day in a doll term in order to sign the role of members of doll Aaron and they will be paid their full basic salary of €96,189 a year. Which ain't bad, basically. I mean, it'd be better if we had some sort of reasonable, you know, perhaps flat tax, Michael, let's say 13%. That would make it a lot better, yes. Substantially, I would say. I have a, a memory that Joanna Tuffy had a child when she was in the doll as well. I think she is the only TD I can actually think of in recent time who had a, a child while serving actively as a TD. Now, obviously, our current Justice uh, Minister, I was about to say, is going through that as well, but I think we'll just say is now pregnant and expecting a child. That sounds more humanising. I think it's important to remember that many, many politicians are human. Many, but perhaps not all. Well, you know, all is a big set. I've often thought there are certain politicians where if you could just get like a needle to them, They'd fall apart and they'd be made of worms or something. You know, David Icke can't be wrong about everything. He can be wrong about a surprising amount, though. Yeah, but what if he's right about the lizards? Wouldn't that be fun? I think people like David Icke serve an important function. The same function that is served by Nobel Prize winners talking about anything outside the area they won the Nobel Prize for. It's a wonderful demonstration that it doesn't matter how smart or educated you are, you're probably an idiot. Just in relation to certain areas. Yeah, I, I prefer not to remind the people about that, Gary, considering 
we don't have any Nobel Prizes and we talk about everything. That's true. So I'm sure just by the law of you know, mathematical certainty, we've said something incredibly stupid. Oh, I'm sure on more than one occasion. Yes, the, just the nature of having to look at the news from around the world and go, yes, we'll talk about these things and do it now yeah. is kind of makes that a certainty. However, I would prefer to be told if I said something incredibly stupid so I can at least look back into it and go, I either did or I didn't. I just like to know. Well, of course, we have signals in the English language. Other people do these diff things differently. But in Ireland and, and in Britain, the response to somebody saying something like incredibly stupid very often would be something like, hmm, that's an interesting position. Or that's a very courageous point of view. So if I ever say something, it's like, yes, Minister, if the listeners ever remember, if they haven't seen it, then they should go because it's still fantastic. If the minister was about to engage in a very risky piece of policy direction, his, his civil servant, chief civil servant would, would say, well, minister, that's a very courageous position, at which point the minister would blanch and say, oh, my God, is it? So if I ever say to you, Larry, that's a very interesting position. Anyway, I just wanted to open by saying that someone who presumably knows more about this issue than I do has uh, come out to say that I was right. So obviously a fantastic moment in which we will get the drive, Michael, we need to further fight against the implementation of maternity leave for female TDs, a position which I'm sure will be widely understood by the public. Oh, and welcomed. And welcomed, rather than being seen as a uh, explicitly sexist move designed because we hate women. And it's also our approach, I would have thought. Lucan, is that Dublin Southwest, is it? I just think it's a bit of a reproach to the people, if it's... If it's not Dublin Southwest, it's Dublin West. Whoever they are, the people of Dublin West, I'm sure there are TDs that are in that constituency now less deserving of their place than Councillor Joanna Tuffy. So wake up, book up your ideas and elect Joanna Tuffy to the doll. We need more people like her. It is a wonderful example of the power of naming something, though. Like, if you say this is for maternity leave, very popular. If you say that this is because we want to more easily defraud the public... <laughs> because having to put in a, a sixer when I was pregnant in order to defraud the public is absolutely unacceptable. I feel the public positioning on it would be very different. Well, that's framing the position in a very different way, I will. Well, yeah, of course. On one hand, it's a PR question, and on my hand, it's because it's an accurate representation of what they want to do. I will love it if Martin has a constitutional referendum on this. Can you imagine, Michael? A constitutional referendum to make it easier for TDs to bilk the public purse. Because they feel bad having to put in a sixer when they were pregnant to claim the expenses they have absolutely no right to claim. Can I just, I just want to say, just, which has nothing to do with anything at all, but I, I'm obviously not holding the hard copy in my hands of the Irish Times letters page, but rather on the, the online edition. And I just want to, <laughs> I'm looking at two other stories that are available, by the way, Gary, to subscribers only. Not the hoi polloi. This is the good stuff. This is the stuff they put behind the paywall to make you really want to hand your money over to the Irish Times. The first story is Fintan O'Toole. Don't buy your children a digital device for Christmas. Read to them. So, first of all, I just, I think it's a joyous idea that we should take advice on giving presents to Chris, to children from Fintan O'Toole. Secondly, can you imagine the joy and happiness of the children on Christmas morning where instead of getting their Samsung 12 or their P, uh, PS5, that you say, no, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read to you on that, I don't know, Ibram Kendi's new book or that book about why we're all racists. The, I mean, just how much would your children love you? But the second one is even more joy. Una Malali, National Week of Mourning essential for COVID-19. Gary, I put it to you again. Una has picked up her bow and arrow, taken the pen out, put it on, and hit the absolute bullseye with that. Because you know what? In whatever it is, six months, eight months, whatever, we've rolled out the vaccines and we tied up all the recalcitrant people onto gurneys and forced them to be vaccinated and those who haven't been vaccinated we put onto an island off the west coast. And we can read sigh of relief say, now life can return to morning. You know what the whole country will really want to do, what the country will need to do, is have a week of mourning. 
but we'll all sit in our houses and wear black, tear our clothes and put ashes through our hair and abstain from strong drink and red meat. That's, I know that's what people will want to do. That's what people will feel the need to do to mark the passing of COVID. A week, not a day, Gary, a week of mourning. I feel that the only thing that people will really want to mourn when this goes are really whiny people who finally got a year in which other people listen to them. <laughs> like, you finally got something to complain about other than the state of your own life. But what, this might be deeply unpopular to say, Michael, but uh, I've had an absolutely fantastic year. Well, I can believe that. Professionally, personally. I mean, my deadlift has improved substantially. Gary, your deadlift is the talk of the East Coast. Ah, it's a thing of beauty at this point, Michael. Yeah. I still think that you're wrong to stop me from putting the video up on YouTube of the deadlift. But, you know, I, I understand you're waiting for the bigger numbers. I mean, currently, Michael, I'm sitting in my house with my feet up on a table with a blanket over me. And I've a very sharp knife passed through the core of an apple. And I'm just slowly taking bites out of it as I talk to you. Obviously, anything that led to this position could not be a bad year. No, but I, I think people are just whiny in general. Yeah, uh, they may well be, but my suspicion is that when the whininess is, has, 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 has wound itself up and the COVID is over, people will want to go and get themselves pissed. They will want to find other people that they, they are physically attracted to or drink some and keep drinking until they become physically attractive, take their clothes off and do nasty things to each other. Michael, I've got to tell you, uh, this is very important for you know. This is a fucking amazing apple. What is it, Gary? Is it is it a John of Gold? Is it a Pink Lady? I think it's a Pink Lady, but it's a very nice Pink Lady. Or maybe there's just something. Maybe like eating an apple. This is the first time I've ever eaten an apple stuck in the end of a knife, and it really does add something to the experience. It's a bit of I'm having a bit of a Sheriff of Nottingham vibe here, sitting you eating with your with your a knife, which I'm imagining is something more like a dagger than a knife. Unfortunately, I do have a um a Skykes Fairbairns dagger, which is the the Rolls Ro the Rolls Royce of daggers. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have it with me. I I have it down in a different uh, different house, or I would be using that to eat the apple. Just you know, because if you're going to go there, you should go all the way on these things, Michael. No one was ever impressed by a man just eating an apple. This is this is true. Anyway, I would say to our listeners, if they have any special plans on how they're going to spend their week of mourning, special suggestions on how we might organise that week of mourning, uh, public acts of abnegation and maybe fasting and prayer, I think send them on to me, or even better, send them on to Una. I'm sure she'd be fascinated to hear what your suggestions are. The UK has announced it's going to be scrapping unconscious bias training for all of its civil servants. Yes. Which is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because it's part of the growing recognition that unconscious bias training, and actually bias training in general, doesn't work. It's never worked. It's never even gotten close to work. In fact, some studies have said it makes things worse. Yes, they're the they're the good ones. We like those studies. Those are the fun ones. They're the fun ones. We should say unconscious bias training starts off with a thing called the implicit association test, which I think was developed in Harvard by two or three social scientists. Were they psychologists? Was it? I can't remember. They were social scientists of some kind. And you can take a free version of it on Harvard Web or Harvard's uh, website. By the way, I'll include a link in the podcast. Should you want to see some very popular pseudoscience? The, the authors of the dissociation test themselves have said that using it as a tool for unconscious or implicit bias training is a misuse and a flawed approach and will not work. And other other people involved in the... I mean, one guy, I think, is still kind of holding out for the... For the association test, others have said, well, maybe we could have done things better with methodology. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's a hell of a lot. I mean, the, ter the very, you're, you're aware of the far-right, uh, far-right neo-fascist Jordan Peterson. He's uh, absolutely coruscating on both the association test and on implicit bias training, uh, that it's absolutely useless. There's a really good article about, by a guy called Frank Dobbin, called which is a diversity training doesn't work, which is not quite what this is about, but it's a little bit what this is about. And anybody out there who wants should have a read of it. I read it a while ago. It's really good. Yeah, it's. I will also include a link to that. But uh, the implicit, just on the implicit uh, bias test, the way it works is 
you uh, you basically get a face, and then you get a uh, word like good or bad or disgust or anything like that. Yeah. And what it does, it measures the response time it takes you to respond to that, and that's about it, really. That's actually nearly entirely it, actually. And one of the points that Peterson, and not just Peterson, it's important to say, said that there's actually no way to distinguish in a test like this between a familiarity bias and an unconscious bias, uh, or a sort of a, like a negative racial or social uh, bias. So the results are essentially means. One of the things that people who critique it said that there are three things about it that also, even if you w- w- thought that this was a good idea based on, on the underlying science, is it, there are three things that make it more likely simply not to work. First of all, for these things to work, they should be voluntary. They should focus on a system rather than on individuals. They should engage natural advocates or champions, and they should look at practicing equitable behavior, if the, this is what you're into. But they tend to be mandatory, targeted at the individual, and, con- and actually just disconnected from the reality of your work day to day. And that anything which is mandatory for a start is problematic. And anything which is targeted at the individual is very problematic. We haven't abandoned it over here, have we? No, we haven't. It's difficult to find out what the scale of it actually is, but it's definitely going on in Irish departments. Now, it's also being pushed heavily by NGOs like the National Women's Council, despite the fact, again, that it had uh, never been shown to actually work. But it's definitely happening, and I wouldn't say we're going to be stopping it any time soon. I'm not sure if it's happening and it's compulsory for civil servants above a certain level, but I wouldn't be terribly surprised. I tell you, I don't know what it's the situation over here. I can't imagine it that well, it might be very different, but I know in the States, Gary, we are in the wrong business. If you're giving these if you're giving courses on implicit bias training or unconscious bias, it's serious spondulics. Oh, particularly the, the corporate and governmental work is incredible. Just incredibly well paying. Lots of white women involved in this, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's that's true, which is also deeply amazing. What's weird is we do know there are programs you can undertake to deal with any existing bias in an organization. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be stuff like um, if you set up systems where existing managers are appointed to mentor people, be they from the same kind of social demographic or racial demographic or outside it, things like that have been shown to reduce any sort of bias in organizations. Unless you're, say, within an academic organization and you have female-to-female mentorship. Well, we don't mention that study. That's oh, the forbidden study. That's the for- oh, so that's another one. God, that list. Where have I, I left my list at home? And that is a long list these days. Okay, that's on the list. No mentioning that study. So stuff like that can, can increase uh, involvement or increase the, the level to which... Um, minorities and women are supported mandatory top-down stuff the sort of stuff that's popular with hr departments uh they generally seem to make things worse sometimes substantially worse well yeah i mean it makes sense i, I remember not sometimes reading an article about and they said one of the they said let me explain one of the reasons why it doesn't work if you think of uh, you have you have an unconscious bias and you become aware of that unconscious bias he said you know, even when people really want to act in a less biased way it's very hard for them to do so just off the bat simply by recognizing because of what they call the intent action gap and the example that was given to me was one that speaks to me deeply just so you know even if you decide you 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 read about good nutrition and health and diet and all sorts of things like that and you really commit that's a really good thing eating like this bad Eating two snack, well, not snack, but let's say two, eating two southern fried chicken dinner boxes every night for tea, which I don't do, by the way, but for the sake of the image. Have that, having that for your supper every night is a bad thing. But people who are, shall we say, with a BMI over what the recommended is, well, oh, everybody knows, we all know, is that simply saying, okay, that's a good thing, and that's what I want. But actually changing the way you behave is a really difficult thing. 
it's also very easy to create a situation in which you actually harm the people you're trying to support. So, for instance, as more focus was put on sexual harassment of women in the workplace, particularly during the, the Me Too movement, some of the research at the time shows that uh, male managers were willing to spend less and less time with female managers, which was then cutting those women out of mentorship opportunities and also meaning that there were less social options available to them to build links with people outside of their direct work environment, which is actually rather important in securing a promotion because how you deal with people is a large part of it. Mm -hmm. So managers are spending less time with female employees and male employees at the same level were spending less time with female employees, which seemed to frustrate everyone deeply. Yeah. And there were lots of claims of, well, if you, you know, if, if you haven't done anything wrong, then it's ridiculous to limit your behavior. The Many of these were the same people who were saying that you must believe all women if an accusation is made. Yes. Two positions which I don't think work terribly well together. Yeah, well, it, it's not just within organizations. It, it also potential, it has the potential to stop women getting into organizations in certain situations because we know there have been studies done where the, talking to women managers, they have admitted that all other things being equal, they're, uh, if they're, say, particularly in, in high pressure situations like hiring for certain kinds of law firms or certain kinds of, uh, certain kinds of cor corporations, finance, particularly, say, in finance and the markets and things like that, one of the things you want to be able to do is f is fire people. It's a brutal kind of a world that they live in, and they want to be able to fire people or pass them over without having a great deal of difficulty. And women managers, not just men, said that all things being equal, they were more likely to look at the white guy and say, well, you know what? I'm going to be able to fire him. If he doesn't work out, I'll be able to fire him easily. There, there's a there's, there, there, there are legal and There are legal and litigation possibilities for hiring someone else, which create problems for me. So... Now, it is disputed to the extent that this goes on, but it, there does seem to be some reason that to some extent it goes on anyway. And it's, I, I don't think it's necessary to create more barriers, rather, even when you're, when you're trying to, to create less. These kind of unintended consequences, unthought-out policies can do. There are better ways of doing these things, where we hope there are anyway. One of, I think one of the funnest findings I found about diversity training was that by forcing people to engage with the stereotypes they hold about different groups, yeah. they, they actually reinforce those stereotypes because they make people consider them. And that's, that's actually an interesting thing in this field. There are stereotypes that are largely accurate. And we can look at statistical data and just say they are accurate as a general tool. So your problem is if you start telling people to think about those and they go, yeah, and I looked it up, and actually the stats back me up. Maybe I should take a, a firmer stance on this. <laughs> yeah, which is not the outcome you're looking for. No, but the, it's it's actually stereotyping based on the truth, or that is accurate in its representation, I think is the most difficult type of stereotyping for these people to deal with. Because they can complain about it, but then you just go, yeah, but I'm right. But it's kind of inevitably where you're going to end up, isn't it? When if you if you see the world as being inevitably divided into groups and identities, if you have explicitly abandoned the idea that every every man or woman should be judged not by the colour of their skin but the content of their character, if you say that's a nonsense idea, that's actually fake liberalism, fake progressivism, which is actually really being used as a tool of the hierarchy and the patriarchy in order to frustrate the needs of the oppressed classes. But we should actually look at people only insofar as they represent a group or an identity. But all you're doing is saying, then we should look at everybody, everybody as, as, a, as, a, as a representative of a, of, of a group or a subset. And that's going to at least create the, the potential for just to reinforce stereotypes because you're just looking at a person as a stereotype of a per rather than the individual in front of you and say, well, the individual in front of me doesn't seem to match that stereotype but listen i shouldn't look at that i should look at the group and the stats tell me the group is like this and that's a bad thing yeah it's, it's one of those problems that you have when you're like oh we'll just increase exposure to different groups whereas oftentimes that just makes you like them less and the example that would come to mind in ireland is travelers the people i know who dislike travelers the most tend to be those who've spent the most amount of time in them and the most rural 
Not in them, around them. That would be an entirely different arrangement. That would be, yes. Be very different. But that is your problem. That, that it, it appears that exposure to certain cultures doesn't get rid of bias. In fact, it just confirms bias and hardens your view of that population substantially. Well, I suppose it might too. Other people might say, well, that's not, that's not, that hasn't been their experience, that the exposure has led them to a greater degree of understanding, empathy and compassion. But uh, I would direct all the mail on that subject towards Gary. Well, well, yeah, I think it is a noteworthy point that when you're dealing, if you're trying to remove bias, you might have to deal with some uncomfortable truths about different people. And none of this training is designed to do that. This is true. None of that training wants to talk about that at all, because that would be uncomfortable and we wouldn't like that. I actually saw an interesting study the other day, Michael, and it was that it was on um, educational retention rates, as in how much information you can retain during informational courses. Yeah. And they were able to show differences in outcome based on the race and socioeconomic uh, class of tutors and students relevant to each other. So people who were taught by someone from the same race and or social class as themselves actually re- retained substantially more information and they were less likely to drop those classes. Really? Yeah. And I think the argument was that the brain is predisposed, uh, predisposed to pay more attention to those most like us because humans are tribalistic animals. Right. And just unconsciously, they treated those things as, as more um, vivid. Which would be interesting. It's, it's only one study, and it'd be interesting to see if it can be replicated. But if it is, there could be widespread... Applications of that to increase... Yeah, for everything from primary school uh, straight through. It would be interesting, actually, if some of the falling grades relative we've seen from boys is actually just due to the changing makeup of the teaching profession. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah that's possible. Worth studying, worth looking at. But would that be a bias, then, if that's true? Oh... I don't know. Can you be biased against boys? I suppose if they're not white boys, you probably can be, but oh, it's all tiring. It's, you know, it's all just to say. I'll include a link to the um, the Frank Dobin, Alexandra Kalov paper from Harvard. It's a fairly good read-through of it, but yeah, the general sense of it is it reinforces stereotypes. It tends to be mandatory, and people don't like being told what to do. And uh, I think one of the other important ones was that it tends to anger white people. There is a, there's a, there was a debunking of it done by Michael Shermer. You know Michael Shermer, the skeptic? He, he wrote the, this one with the skeptic side. He wrote a, a debunking of it, which I remember reading, and it was, it was good, and it was sort of publications. I don't know if it was peer, if it was well peer-reviewed, but I think it came out in an academic journal. But uh, if anybody wants to have a route around for that, I think that's probably available online as well. Yeah, there seems to be a turning of it against it now in corporate spaces. Although I get the sense that the corporates were mostly just doing it so that they could say they had done it in case a legal issue arose. Well, yeah, I think. Well, to to an extent, I think you shouldn't underestimate as well. There was always this notion that a certain kind of ideological disposition that children would develop in universities that when they came out into the real world and had to get a job, blah, 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 they would have all this nonsense knocked out of them. That actually that didn't happen and they ended up, a lot of these people ended up in HR departments in corporate America, not just America. And they, it may well be that while there was an element of litigation sensitivity involved with it, there was also an element of that the people in the HR really just believed in this and they thought this was a good thing to do. The problem that they have is that the companies that have used it haven't seen increases in the diversity within the companies beyond what you would project from industry trends more generally. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to be having any kind of thing. I would make the point that I would imagine they would have to have at best no impact and likely a bad impact because of the way they're put forward. They're put forward in that they highlight differences rather than they highlight uh, areas of commonality. Yeah, which is a, which is a, a, a wider problem if you take it at a macro level when Putman talks about this and Murray and others in the United States where you've where people have always had multiple, and we all have multiple layers of identities. It's not that it, it's not it's not that we don't have identities and different identities which are important to us. That you might have an identity if you say if you're some the GA actually, for example, the G the county system in Ireland really is an imposition of a of a, a, a political division of the country imposed by 
which didn't exist before it was imposed by the English after, I suppose, Elizabeth onwards. You have this, and then, but but the county system, the, the sense of being in, uh, from a county, was really invented by the GAA, and that people have this strong sense of a county identification is largely due to, or certainly in large part due to their affiliation to a GAA team. So you might have a strong sense of being affiliated as a Wexford man or a Galway man or whatever. Then you have, you might have a religious identity, that you might have a town identity, you might have whatever it is, an Irish speaker, somebody from a, a Huguenot background. But uh, over all of this, in the case of the United States, there was what they called the, the, these overarching identities, this supranational identity, which was that everybody could participate in. And that's what makes a society function, is that while we all have different identities, there there is at some stage a, a commonality that we can participate in, which helps us cooperate and feel a, a kind of a, a, a sense of being part of the same unit, part of the same community. And in America, that was a sense of being an American, participating in the American idea, the American project. But the problem is, if you start to dissolve the idea of the possibility of such a thing as a positive, well, then all you just create are these these fractal groups who are ultimately in competition with each other rather and that makes that 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 movement towards a sense of commonality which is important both for just happy stable communities but also for successful societies much more difficult if we don't have something which we can use to bring us together and that's true in corporations as well you need you want people to feel part of the team god knows Anybody's ever suffered a team. We're all part of the team. We have to do teamwork. There's no I in team. Where are we going now, Gary? Because I know there are lots of things in the news today. So the guards have, uh, I just want to mention this briefly, the guards have uh, appealed to people not to take part in the latest social media craze in which you lay on the road under a sheet and... uh, Attempt to stop cars, I think? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm also not sure if this is an actual thing or if this happened once and now the guards are saying, please stop doing this. Oh, sorry, can we rewind? You lie on the road covered by a sheet. I mean, I can't see how this could not turn out ex- anything except, well, I mean, this is just a tremendous idea. Why aren't we all... Uh, is it really a thing? Or is this just one of those things that isn't a thing at all? Um, I don't know. The guards have said it's happened a couple of times. A woman was recently hospitalised by it. Apparently it's called ghosting. And, um, again, I have no idea how common it is, but I will never underestimate the stupidity of people doing things for social media. However, Michael, intellectually I understand that if someone does this, a young person, and is killed, that's a tragedy for their family. Yes. But I don't care. I think if you're willing to lie down on a road with a sheet over you and a car runs you over, we haven't lost... A uh, net positive to society. There is a sense there that we have just gained another nomination for the Darwin Awards. Chlorinating the gene pool? Yeah, that that that, uh, that end of the gene pool. I know we joke about taking the warning labels off everything and just letting natural selection run its course. But if you're going to put your head on a road and cover it with something so that you can't see and you die, I don't care. It's hard to think that how this could be a good idea. I mean, it's also, I mean, if you want to put yourself in danger, is this the best way to do it? I I just think we should allow people to suffer or enjoy the foreseeable consequences of their actions. And the you have to say the consequences of the actions of this are pretty foreseeable. Should it become a widespread... Only problem with this is that we have a public health service where these people will presumably be treated. If there was a private health service... Just have at it. I think anything other than a Fiat Panda is not going to be... They're not ending up in the public health service. But I, 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 I read the story about this and the, the woman who got hospitalised. Like, she had a number of injuries to her back, torso and ankle. Yeah, I would imagine a car running you over as you lie on the ground could do that. Yeah. That all seems pretty foreseeable. Still, could have been a Massey Ferguson. There are big wheels and big tractors. I don't know. Should I care about this? In the abstract... I mean, I'm sure if it was someone I knew. If there was, if, if, I suppose, if there, if you thought there was someone you knew which, who was, inverted commas, at risk of doing this, then maybe you should care about it, I suppose. If it were to happen to someone I knew of that age, I'm sure I would be upset. 
But I'm also sure I would think they were a fucking idiot. That is a position, Gary, which applies to many, many things. Anyway, I don't think the guards need to be warning people about this. I think we should just let nature run its course, Michael. On the roads of this, uh, up and down the roads of this beautiful country. I suppose the problem is it's not nature running the course, it's large vehicles carrying Christmas trees to market that's more the problem. They're perfectly natural. Indeed. Yeah, as, as the tiger has its claws, man has his tools and his technology. Jeez, sounds like William Blake talking to me. I am fond of the odd bit of imperialism. I, well, indeed. Maybe not the odd bit, actually. Maybe actually quite a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which bit of the empire are we going to next? Uh, back to Dublin. Back to Dublin? Yeah, we haven't. We haven't left Dublin. So it was, uh, it came out there that the government has given 140,000 across the country to promote the election of uh, women and minority groups. And I don't like that, Michael. Electing minority groups, usually they can stand as, a, you don't usually stand as a group, you stand as an individual, generally speaking. Yes, but these are people elected from minority groups. That is, the, that is the most pressing characteristic in this issue. So most of the money will be going to what? Polish people, uh, Lithuanians, Brazilians, and Chinese people, I suppose. Oh, and men as well, because men are a minority. Uh, you know damn well that's not what's happening. Oh, Gary, tell me, is something else happening? Are you telling me all this money isn't going to go to Polish people? You might be shocked, Michael, but uh, it doesn't appear to be going to Polish people. Where is fact, it going? It mostly seems to be going to women. <laughs> um, I don't want to be that guy, but aren't women the majority in the country? But not in politics. Not in politics. This is true. Well, not in not not representative elected politics. Yeah, I mean, if women wanted to elect women, considering they're the majority of the uh, country, don't it's women rather vote? Easy to do that. Don't and women they do vote, vote at a higher level than men? They just don't vote for the right candidates, Michael. Do you remember how deeply upset the women's groups were after the last election? Do you know what? I I must have been so traumatised by it, Gary, I blocked out how upset they were. Well, they were pretty upset, Michael. I think there were statements made about, you know, just how disappointing this was. So you go, I mean, it was a well-orchestrated democratic election where people seem to have gotten exactly what they wanted. What's disappointing about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just think the pe- people elect- voted for what they wanted, they got it. Good and hard. I mean, if someone wants to talk about a different governmental system, I'm all ears. But as it is, this is what we have. Well, there you go. The only thing is, well, if you gave me €140,000, that actually would make a difference to my life. €140,000 spread out throughout the 26 counties, assuming Dublin is one county. Yeah, I mean, really? How much are you going to get? Are you going to get, like, enough to buy 20 stamps and 20 envelopes? Uh, I think the the place that got the largest amount was, um, let's see, Dublin got 25,000 for a Kathleen Clark commemorative series and a women's committee. What? Uh, you can't just say something like that and not explain it. A Kathleen Clark commemorative what? Is it a stamp? A, a statue? How is What? It just says Kathleen Clark Commemorative Series. Series. And this is to help women get elected. How? How is it Kathleen? Okay, leave that aside. The other, what was the second thing that got money? So Kildare got, uh, Kildare County Council got 14,000 for mentoring program, guest speakers, online and community engagement a Register of Electors Initiative and Diversity and Equality Protocols. The Register of Electors Initiative is probably a good plan considering the Register of Electors across the country is an absolute shit. It is very considerable shit. Not that we've ever cared about that, so I, I assume we're not caring now, so I don't know what that money is going for. And then Monaghan got 13000 for uh, capacity building with elected members and the establishment of a woman's assembly. Or women's assembly, even. Presuming there's more than one of them. It all like, it sounds perfectly splendid. And I'm sure that the money will be spent in innovative, energising and creative, constructive ways. Yeah, I, I have a bit of an issue with this. Uh, firstly, because it's a waste of money, frankly. Because representation and these things have never actually been shown to do anything. 
other than spend grotesque amounts of money that, again, are taken from people's taxes, and I would rather that we only did that on things we could, you know, fucking justify the spend on. Uh, but more so because I don't think central government should give funding to help the election prospects of any group, whether that be man, woman, child, animal, mineral, or vegetable. Would you get rid of the uh, current situation where if your party gets 2% in the national elections, they get state funding? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'd also remove the cap on donations. Uh, I'd remove the cap on donations to me. I don't know if I'd remove it to anybody else. I think that there's always a danger with these... Well, I don't, maybe you're not. Who, I just think that as it stands, it, certain political parties are a very significant uh, financial advantage and one of the problems... You, you have a kind of a competitive barrier towards new entrants into the market. And if they can get, if they can breach that two percent, then you give them an opportunity to. I I I am of the belief that those restrictions on funding are on donations tied to the two percent were done partially because political parties always hated fucking asking for money, and that yes. ended not all of that, still quite a lot of that, but it ended the reliance on it, and two in order to stop smaller parties from actually being able to find someone who would give them money for things, and then they would do those things. Which I don't think is a, is a good thing. But no, I, I, anything like this, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think the government should fund most NGOs, particularly not the homelessness NGOs, who spend more than the average cost of a mortgage for every person who is homeless in this country every year. And that's at a time when we have more homelessness people. Because not that long ago, I mean, there were more people employed by home by the homelessness charities than, than there were homeless in Dublin. I think it's for every homeless person in the country, homelessness charities receive €30,000. I thought it was 33 but I, I yeah, could be 33 right. I think you're probably right. Which is more than, you know, the average cost of a mortgage or rent in any place in the country I can think of, outside of some very lovely postal codes. Mm -hmm. uh, because most of them are grotesquely inefficient and exist primarily to keep people employed. Now, there are some really good local homelessness charities that are really under-resourced. But interesting thing about NGOs, it takes a lot of effort to apply for grants and aid and to build links with government and to you know know the right people to talk to in order to get money. It's actually rather expensive. Yeah. So you've got a lot of these organisations with great links to the government, but uh, kind of terrible on the ground. <laughs> what would we do, Michael? Get rid of them all and just give people the money? Well, I, I could get rid of them all, yeah. That sounds like a good start. I, I, the, the whole idea, I, if nothing else, whatever about individual charities that may or may not be doing the work that they were set up to do, I think it's really tedious when the government funds lobby groups whose existence is to lobby the government against the interests of other citizens who are not receiving subsidies for them to lobby the other way around. So, for example, off the top of my head, if you had a group that was dedicated to the annihilation of alcohol in Ireland, for example, if such a group existed, if a group which believed that there was no such thing as a safe level of consumption of alcohol existed, and if it was receiving money from the state to lobby for increasing restrictions on the access to alcohol, to reducing hours in off licenses, making life more difficult in public houses, which was lobbying for an increase in the price of alcohol, which would principally damage uh, or would affect people in the, on lower incomes. And they were doing this against the interests of these people and against probably well, most of this, what we see, against the desires of the majority of the population. But because they were in a position to lobby and because they had access to media and because they have this kind of official magisterial aura around them where they get taken seriously and people quote them as if they were a proper unbiased, caring organisation. Well, I would find that annoying, Gary. That kind of NGO would really annoy me. And what about if there was another NGO, Michael, which was, let's say, somehow written into legislation despite not actually being 
controlled by the government in any way and if its members could cause incredible amounts of frustration and issues and uh, just serve as an impediment to the general natural You mean, for example, say, uh, imagine this, in a republic, right, and you had a private organisation where people paid membership to join, and that organisation had statutory powers to stop their neighbours, say, building a house in in a place or in the fashion that they wanted to, where they could, after planning processes had been gone through, they could lodge secret appeals, lodge of objections, where maybe the considerations would be held in camera and where the person who was applying for planning wouldn't know who had objected or the nature of the objection or that kind of thing. If that kind of body existed, obviously that would be offensive to the very notion of a republic governed by laws where this, every citizen is equal and the state is ultimately responsible for the decisions made by the state. Yeah, that would be very offensive. I mean, particularly if, let's say, it was funded by numerous Irish governmental and near-governmental organisations and it was kind of opaque as to what was actually happening there and to where, you know, just what was happening in general. The kind of organisation that maybe didn't publish publicly lists of its... Uh, officers or say central committees that kind of thing or or its, or its wider membership but was at the same time being funded directly and indirectly by the government that would i i would find it very hard to believe that that would exist particularly i mean let's say receiving several million a year from the government really yeah god thank god that doesn't exist that is receiving several million from the government to do that job of frustrating the desires of citizens hmm yeah, that kind of cheat that uh, NGO would really annoy me. I mean, that does sound very similar to Antasca, though, doesn't it? Oh, no, Antasca is a fantastic organisation which is dedicated to the environment, uh, to the architectural protection of the ar- architectural fab- fabric and heritage of the nation, and imposing sensible, proper planning on a country where it has been sadly absent. No, Antasca is a, is a hero, Gary. I mean, which is lucky because given its wide statutory powers and its, you know, the potential for mischief that uh, its members could cause, potentially derailing massive, uh, massive projects that could substantially increase the public uh, good of the country. I mean, it's good to see there there are the highest ethical standards, Michael. I mean, you're not suggesting, say, for example, in uh, at a moment where because of political developments in other countries, the only other significant market for cheddar cheese, which is a large product in our agricultural value-added uh, industry, was suddenly going to be blocked off and somebody decided they were going to, in partnership with another foreign uh, partner, build a very large uh, facility in order to move production away from cheddar into other cheeses that will be sell, sold on the continent to support Irish farming and Irish agriculture generally. And that maybe after a process of five or six years, that that, pro, that that plan would again run into trouble to the point where it might even be the case where the foreign partner on whom they're relying for support to execute this product would go away. You're not, that's not what you're saying. No, no, in, in the same way I would never imply that Antasca had previously perhaps had issues receiving corporate donations from entities where it could be construed to be a conflict of interest. Well, I don't know anything about that. That sounds like very unlikely to me. I don't know. No, I mean, there were claims, of course, in, you know, I think it was 2010. Um, oh, I think they accepted money from a firm that was building incinerators. What's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing, but they, you know, people started saying things, Michael, like, well, we find it concerning that Antasca is taking money from corporate interests, uh, that, you know, then will it really do its job in relation to those corporations? Which I thought was an incredible question, because Antasca would stop the building of absolutely anything, regardless of anyone. Well, uh, for two things. First of all, there are bad-minded people everywhere, Gary, and any time. You'll always get people saying this kind of Secondly... Its job, I think that's the job of the state, isn't it? Not the job of a private club. That's the role and function of government. And Antashka isn't part of the government. I don't think anybody elected Antashka 
Well, it's hard to tell, actually. Or are they actually the permanent government? Doesn't matter who we vote for, we still get on Tashka. I think, you know, Michael, I think if there's one organisation in this country we could just remove, like a race from history, and would make the country better. And Tasca, I think, is actually way up there. No, I thought you were going to say the, rev- the I thought you were going to say the revolutionary the so- Irish Socialist Workers Party, but no, you, you you got me. Michael, the the revolutionary Socialist Workers Party has done far less damage to this country than Antashka. Far more entertaining. Yeah, the the old joke that uh, about Grover Norquist that he didn't want to kill the federal government; he just wanted to bring it to a size where he could drown it in his bathtub. <laughs> yeah, I think if it, if if it's I would conceive of Antasca of several people, and I think that should happen to some of them, so that the others will be warned. I think that's us for the day, Michael. Have we finished already? We'll be back on Friday. We may, in fact, talk a little bit about CETA, although we may do that on Sunday, which is the trade deal with Canada. Although I think if we talk about it, we will be partially talking about the trade deal and partially talking about the evolution of the Green Party's stance on it. That's even more boring. A trade deal and the Greens' position on a trade deal. Really? I mean, is there not something going on in the Philippines? I mean, oh, God, you make me lose the will to live at times. Cita. I uh, I was actually, for my sins, I was reading uh, a message from Antasca's director earlier in the year. And they were saying, you know, we had we had our first online council meeting. It was very well attended, with over twenty people. <laughs> and I just read it, and in my mind's eye, there was just economic project after economic project, just thrown on the scrap heap of history due to these fuckers. And it was like twenty people, really. Oh, you know, they're about to become much worse as well, Michael. They were discussing, and they may have already done this before, but when I checked in with them last. They were discussing rewriting the constitution of Antasca. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that. I wouldn't put it past them. No. But they want to they, they wanted to reflect under advances in ecological understanding and climate science and, you know, biodiversity and uh, well established activities in the area of property and planning. I don't like the sound of any of that. No. No, so if you thought they were bad before They've either just become worse or they're going to become worse because there's no way that the membership of Antashka will vote against something like that. More fun coming. Maybe we need to convince them to start ghosting. Maybe this is the social media craze for Antashka. Well, you know the thing about that, they tend to wear sort of those sturdy tweed jackets and corduroys that resist even the, the, more, the, even the larger vehicles on the road today. At least then we wouldn't have to consider it a tragedy. I'm sorry, just now I'm just thinking of the Bee Gees. All the best. Bye-bye.